This morning's reading is uh, from the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. In the middle of the fourth uh, chapter, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no, no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to those adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that are non-existent. In hope he believes, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of God. Thanks, Rich. Um, before we turn to the word, let's uh, open in prayer. Uh, Father, we're grateful for your continued mercies new every morning to us. And uh, Father, we lift up Troy and Heather as they're on the mission field and experiencing symptoms of COVID and um, not able to get tested and all the difficulties that they're facing. Lord, I pray for their deliverance, that you would uh, lead them through the illness, that you would protect and guide them. And Lord, would you give them a, a beautiful deliverance, one that they could share with the people that they work with, the people that they minister to. And so give them strength of, um, and courage while they're uh, facing the onset of this, uh, this sickness. And Lord, give them a tremendous testimony that they can share to your glory. Have mercy on them and deliver them, we ask. And Father, we also pray for the Fredericks as um, the kids are getting sniffles, but uh, and the, the uh, original offer on the house has fallen through. Lord, would you give them likewise a, a beautiful testimony, a beautiful 
um, story that they can tell about how you led them across the country and, and landed them in just the right place. And Lord, we thank you for their, uh, their continued faithfulness to you and their desire to follow after you. Uh, Lord, we grieve their loss here, but we pray for the church that they will be attending. Lord, would you use them to uh, bless that church the way you use them to bless us? And, uh, and just get them uh, situated and landed soon, we pray. And watch over them in the meantime, while they're still in, in, uh, in motion and in play. Uh, Father, we pray now for the preaching of your word. Lord, would you show us what it is that you're telling us? Lord, would you build our confidence in you? And Lord, would you justify us by faith? We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the objections or one of the problems that people have with Christianity um, is when we say that Jesus is the only way. Uh, it sounds to postmodern mind uh, like a power play, postmodernism, uh, truth is subjective. And so if somebody claims to have absolute truth, they view it as a power play. You're trying to exert control over me by claiming you have the truth. So when Christians say Jesus is the only way, it sounds to those ears like a power play, like we're just trying to be um, large and in charge, or that we're uh, so very sure of ourselves that we're vain and, and, and filled with ourselves, or it sounds just incredibly intolerant. What about all these other religions? How can you say that they're wrong? Um, so when we went a couple of years ago, we went through the, the um, um, Reason for God series, one of the videos was on the exclusivity of Jesus. And, and uh, at the end, uh, Tim Keller, I thought, was very good when he said, um, what I want you to ask you to do, because the, the setting was Tim and six unbelievers. Um, he said, what I would like to ask you to do is um, be a little understanding with Christians when they say that Jesus is the only way. Um, it's not that we want to be right or we're being arrogant or anything. It's because of Jesus. It's he said um, that he forgave sins, sins that weren't against him. So he was the one that was sinned against in a way that only God could be. And yet he had the power to forgive sins or that um, he said that he was going to return at the end of the age to judge everybody. So when we are being faithful and following Jesus, we have to say that Jesus is the only way, not because we think we're so smart, but because that's who he said he was. Um, so that's one of the, the struggles that people have is, is that, that idea of exclusivity. And, um, you know, the, the thought is, well, all paths lead to the top of the mountain, right? So you Christians are on one path and, you know, Muslims are on another and, and everybody gets to the top of the mountain. The problem with that is, as arrogant as it sounds for us Christians to say Jesus is the only way, the statement all paths lead to the top of the mountain is equally as arrogant, because what the person thinks is they are not on a path up the mountain. They think that they have arrived, they can step back and look at the entirety of the mountain and say all paths get you there. So that is a power play. That is a, a, a claim to ultimate truth in and of itself. Um, and really, I don't think that's tremendously good news to say that there are multiple paths and they all get to the top of the mountain. Um, how do you know that? You haven't been to the top of the mountain. With Christians, like I said, Jesus came down from the top of the mountain to us. So he knows the right way. He is the right way. Um, and when we look at the question of justification, um, Paul is wrestling with that question of, are there multiple ways to be justified? And he, said, he is claiming, no, there is only one way. So 
What if that one way to be justified also happens to turn out to be the absolute best way you could possibly hope for to be justified? What if that's true? And so that's what we're going to look at today is that's why it depends on faith. That, ha that happens to turn out to be the best possible way to be justified. And so when you look at where we're at, just a reminder of where we're at in this argument so far, at the end of chapter three, Paul gave us a fairly technical explanation of what justification was. And justification is not only being declared innocent, but it's more than that. It's actually being declared righteous. And what we saw was that it was the righteousness of God that is available to us through faith. So we are justified with an external righteousness, not our own, and it comes to us by faith. So that was the technical definition. What we saw last week was Paul showed us that there is historical precedent for Jews and Gentiles both to be justified by faith. And he used Abraham primarily, and we're going to use Abraham here again uh, as the example, because Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But he also, remember, appealed to David. And David said, blessed is the man whose sin God doesn't remember. And so that's that same idea. And so what Paul has drawn a picture for us here is this justification by faith alone is not a new novel concept. It is something that God has been doing all along. So today where he's going to go with this section at the end of chapter four is he's going to answer the question, well, why is it faith that justifies us? Why isn't it faith and works? Why isn't it, you know, we believe and plus we do these good things and that justifies us? Or why isn't it just works altogether? Or why aren't there multiple ways to do it? Um, and and that's, that's what he's going to answer for us. The reason I say that he's answering that question is because there are two, what I would call reason phrases in this section. Um, in verse 16 and verse 22, they both start with, this is why. So what he's doing is he's answering that question. So, okay, you keep saying faith is how we're justified. Why? How, why is it faith? This is why. And, and that's how he's going to explain it to us is in these two major categories. The section starts with this promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Um, if you look carefully at the times when God made promises to Abraham, none of them was that he was going to inherit the world. Um, what he was promised was the promised land, the, the land that he was journeying in, which is not the world, it's just a chunk of real estate in the Middle East. And he was, he was promised offspring as numerous as the stars. So what does Paul mean that he would be heir of the world? Uh, well, one way to understand that is when God promised him the land that he was walking on, he actually meant the whole world. Um, I don't think that's justified based on the context that we're in. What is the context we're in uh, what promise has he, Paul been focusing on? The context is the promise that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. So instead of taking the word world as the dirt ball we live on, what if we take the word world as in the population of the world? The promise was to Abraham and his offspring, who are all across the globe, that they would be heir of the world, that he would be heir of the world. Uh, what did Abraham inherit? Well, he is the father of us all, is what Paul has told us. So I think that's where he's going with that. But here's the key thing, is it's a promise. It's a promise to Abraham, and it comes through the righteousness of faith, is what he said. So that's, that's kind of setting up the issue. That's kind of tying us last week to this week, bringing it all together. And then he says, for if the adherents of the law, uh, for if it is the adherents of the law who are the, to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So what he's saying there is, 
if the promise is contingent on law, in other words, if the promise is contingent on faith, or I mean uh, of obedience, then faith is null. Faith doesn't really play a part in it. You just have to do the works, and the promise is void. In other words, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get that promise. And, and that's where he goes with the very next phrase. He says, for, where, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. What can the law do for you? It cannot secure the promise. It can bring wrath. That's what law will do for you. So that's the, prom- the problem he sets it up with. Now, the last phrase is a little curious. He says, but what there, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Um, does that mean that the Gentiles who didn't have the law didn't have any sin? Well, it can't mean that. That's, that's contrary to what Paul explained in the, the first section of the book. So what does he mean here by where there is no law, there is no transgression? I think if we keep it in context, what he's getting at is that justification. If justification is based on law, then there is transgression. But if justification is not based on law, then there is no transgression because that's not what we're, we're justified by. So I think that's where he's going. Now, why does it depend on faith then? That's the question. So verse 16, this is why it depends on faith. This is why. Well, what's the this? The this, I think, is first of all, the previous statement, the law brings wrath. So why is it based on on faith and not law? Because law will only give you wrath. Law will only get you in trouble. Remember how he ended um, his section on all of us need to be saved, which was the end of chapter or the uh, middle of chapter three. He's got a long list of scripture quotes, and it starts with none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All, all have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There's law. That's what you get with law. And, and the way he applied it, remember from the beginning of uh, chapter 1 through the uh, middle of chapter 3, it applied to the irreligious, to the Gentiles. They were uh, um, condemned. To the moralist who says, you know, I, I deem these things incorrect. Even to the religious, to the Jews who would look down on it. He says every single one of those categories of people has all turned aside. They have all turned away. None of them does good. No, not one. And, and that's why in, in, uh, at the end of that section, he says, for by works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the first reason that justification is based on faith is because works can't deliver. Uh, not because the, there's anything wrong with the law. The law is an expression of God's morality, and God's morality is reality. It is what, what uh, is, it should be. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem resides with us. None is good. No, not one. So the law can't deliver us because we can't do the law. So that's the first problem is this is why it depends on faith because the other alternative is a failure right out of the gate. It's not going to work. So he continues on. He says, but this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. So the next thing is the, the law won't deliver but God has given the promise based on his grace. It, it's rooted in grace. So what is God's grace? Um, I think the, the working definition that I'm growing to like is God's love unmerited and unearned. So God just loves somebody because he loves them. It's not because they've done anything good. That's what grace is. And the reason I like God's love is because when we look at the Bible, love in the Bible is not primarily an emotion. Um, it's more than an emotion. It is emotion put into action. 
So when God says he loves us, he doesn't just look at us and smile and have a warm feeling in his heart. His love for us means he does things, he works things out. So the promise rests on grace because, and that's why it's based on faith, is because it wants to be resting on God's love. So what's one way that, or why would God rest it on his grace? Well, because God delights to shower grace on people. He delights to show grace to everyone. So think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So God loved the world. And the word there in, in, uh, in the Bible for world is cosmos. And that's often used to talk about the fallen, broken, chaotic order that we're in. God so loved that. Did that world, does this world merit his love, earn his love? No, he just has fixed his love on it. That's his grace. So Jesus comes because of God's grace. So this is why it's based on faith, is because God wants to shower his grace on people. He wants to pour it out and let people enjoy his grace. So let's go back to that first question then. What's the best way to be justified? Is the best way to be justified law? No, law doesn't bring justification. Law brings wrath. What about if uh, when I get to heaven and God, you know, I meet God there, he says, well, let's look at your good and your bad and weigh them and, and see uh, if one outweighs the other. Is that the best way to be justified? Well, you're back to law, so immediately the scales fall in the law side and you lose. But even if that was possible, is that good news? I mean, you get to heaven and you go, well, I think I did enough good. I, I don't really know. I tried to be good and I tried to do good things. Um, one of the problems is you tend to look at the good in just a little bit too short of terms. Um, you can do a good thing and have it wind up messing things up further down. Uh, for example, um, I watched a video called uh, Relief Inc. And it's about the relief industry. So the one place they started was Haiti. Remember, uh, I think it was what, 2012, 2013, Haiti had a massive earthquake. And the U.S. rushed in and brought food and began to rebuild the infrastructure. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? I think that's a wonderful thing to do. The problem was they never turned it off. So the farmers who are trying to get their farms back up and running can't compete with the free rice that we're shipping in. What we tried to do as a good thing turned out to be a bad thing. So when you get to heaven and you say, look at my good and my bad, there's a trail that runs off every good thing that could wind up being bad. So that's just not the best way to be justified. That's not the best way to do that. But what about God's grace? What if God said, I will justify you by faith because of my grace, because I love you, because I want to do that, because I'm going to do this for you. Isn't that better? Doesn't that sound more delightful? The thing that's kind of scary is we're not in control of that. We don't, we're not in charge of that. I can you know, be in charge of the things I do, but to trust grace by faith is, puts us in the, into the back seat. And actually, that's not a bad place to be. So why does justification depend on faith? First of all, it can't depend on law. Law won't do anything but bring wrath. Second of all, so that it may be by grace. It'll show God's grace more fully. And then the last thing he says is, uh, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. So in other words, what God wants to do is extend this grace, extend this, this promise beyond the people of Israel. Um, those are the people who are of the law. So he says, um, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who's father of us all. 
So it's God's plan, and it was the promise, wasn't it? That Abraham would be heir of the world, that he would have children as numerous as the stars. That was the promise. And so the promise is based on faith so that it can extend that way, so that the promise can actually happen, so that people could be brought in. They could be heirs of Abraham. Um, that's the other part of the good news is it's not dependent on anything else except for God's grace. And the intent of God's grace is to go beyond one people group. The intent of God's grace is to spread across the globe. So does that sound like a better way to be justified? This is, this is sounding better to me all the time. So that, that's his first statement is that it will be, um, it depends on faith in order that the promise may be on grace and may be guaranteed to all his offspring. The second um, reason clause is in verse 22. And in verse 22, he says, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So this is the reason why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. So what is that reason? Well, we have to back up again. Um, immediately, verse 20 and 21 says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do all that he had promised. So there's a couple of things packed into that sentence right there. First of all, it was so that God may be glorified. So why does God justify people? Why does he justify the, um, the, um, the ungodly through faith? Why was Abraham credited righteousness based on faith? so that God would be glorified. So what he says is that, um, that Abraham didn't waver in his faith, but instead he believed the promise of God and he gave glory to God. And so that's the next reason that it rests on faith and not our performance. If it rests on our performance, we get the glory. We go, look at how many great things I've done. Look at how good I am. Isn't it wonderful that I've done all these things? Aren't I clever? But when it rests on faith, you can't say, I did so many wonderful things by believing that God said he was going to do what he was going to do. Um, that, that's faith, and the glory only goes to God. It is God's glory alone. So what was it that he believed? Well, it says that he believed, um, he believed that um, God s said that he would have offspring as numerous as the stars. Uh, that's what he believed. But notice he, said, he starts that thing with, no unbelief made him waver. Why would unbelief make him waver? Well, because we have to back up a little bit further. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. So God makes him this promise. But where Paul goes on is he explains, now when Abraham considered his own body, when he considered his own the function of his own body, it was as good as dead. He was 99 years old. He was almost 100 years old. And God comes and says, you will have offspring as numerous as the stars. And he looks at his body and says, that's not possible. This body doesn't function like it did when I was, you know, 20 or 30. I'm 100 years old, God. I, there's things I just cannot do. He didn't, he also looked to his wife and said, you know, we've been married an awful long time, Sarah and I, and she's never been able to conceive. So the odds, the reality, looking at just this is the function of, of the way things are right now, the data that's in front of me, he should have thought it's just not possible. I mean, it, it just doesn't happen. 
But what happened was no unbelief made him waver. So when he heard God say, this is what's going to happen, he believed him. He believed that promise despite the, the contrary evidence. So here's the next thing is that faith is believing God's promise. It, it, God had promised he would do this thing. God is the one who can bring uh, the dead to life and can make things be that don't exist. He's able to do that. So when God says, I will justify you by faith, we can look to him and say, I believe that. I can't see it right now. I don't know how you're going to justify somebody like me, but I believe that you can do that. That's something that you can do. So faith, properly understood, justifying faith, faith that will lead to your justification is not just wishful thinking. It's rooted in something very specific, what did Abraham believe that was credited to him as righteousness? He believed God's promise. And the word promise shows up in this section, I think I counted 14 times in, uh, in 13 verses, and there's only two sentences that it's not in. So faith and promise, or promise, uh, oh no, it's not promise, it's faith shows up that often. Faith is a major theme. Promise shows up the next amount of times, about five times. So when we talk about faith, when we say that we believe something, what we're saying is not, I just get to believe whatever I want. Um, you see that on the health, wealth, and prosperity, folks. If you believe God for this miracle, if I believe God for this miracle, like I'm, I'm going to extract it from him? No, you don't believe God for that. What you do is you believe God in what he has promised you. What has God promised? Abraham was promised his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. He was promised the world, essentially. And so that's what that faith is. Even though his own body was as good as dead, even though his wife's womb was barren, he did not waver in his faith. But he considered the truth of who God was versus the, the truth of who he was. So that's the other reason why it, it is based on faith. It's faith in something specific, faith in the promise that God has made and saying, I believe that, I trust that, I, I believe that to be true. So let's back up a little bit. Um, Abraham didn't do this perfectly. Remember, after he got that promise, Sarah was concerned that she is not having children. And so she takes Hagar, her servant, and gives her to Abraham. And Abraham has a child through her named Ishmael. But what happens is later on, when Isaac is born, God refers to Isaac as your son, your only son. The son of faith, the son that God gave him is the only son. Ishmael is excluded from the covenant family. He's blessed. He still has, has princes that are from him, but he's not part of that Abrahamic blessing. So he, he tries to help, and that is not counted. God says, nope, that's, that's the works that you're trying to do, and I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to accept those. What justifies you is the, the trusting me that I will do what I said I would do. So that's the other reason that it's on faith. So how does that connect to us? Where, does, where do we come into this? In verse 23, Paul says, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. So uh, what I, I always smile when I read that because the words, it was written, or uh, the, the words, um, it was counted to him, was not written for Abraham's sake at all. It was written probably 450 years after Abraham was dead and gone. So it was not written for his sake while he was alive, but it was written for his sake as he's in heaven and enjoying his blessing and seeing what's going on. He goes, yeah, that's right. God credited it to me as righteousness. But the most important part of that is 
that wasn't written for, for Abraham alone. That wasn't just given to Abraham. It was written for our sake. So what that's saying, what Paul is saying is that, that justifying faith that Abraham had, the, the, the abandonment of law as the basis of our relationship with God, the, the grace that Abraham received, the promise that he hung his hope on, it was written for us as well. It is our promise. It comes to us. But it looks a little different because look at where he goes. He says, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Abraham believed that God would give him offspring and it was counted to him as righteousness. We believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and it will be counted as righteousness. Are those two different things? Well, actually, it turns out they're not different things. We're believing the same thing that Abraham believed. It's just Abraham got this much of it, and we get so much more. So why, the reason I say that is Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ's, then you're heir, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So here's how this works. Imagine if you told um, your children or your friends, in three weeks, we're going to go someplace fun. And they start imagining, well, what's fun? What would be fun? Well, grandma's house is fun, or uh, the city park is a lot of fun. So they start trying to figure out what fun is, but they don't have the full picture yet. And a few weeks, a few days later, you say, well, it's, it's going to be a big place. It's not someplace small. Well, you know, grandma's house is great, but it's not big. So maybe it's the city park. Maybe there's more of that. And then you keep adding details. And then finally, you drive in the gates of Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm. And they go, oh, that's what it is. Now, at that point, was what you said originally wrong? Isn't, isn't Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm fun? Yeah, that's fun. Is it a big place? Yeah, it's a big place. So that's what's happening here with Abraham is Abraham is given this much of the gospel. All he knows is that his, his offspring will be as numerous as the stars. He doesn't know the full understanding of that. He hasn't had it all in that form yet, but he believed it. And, and so that's the same little portion of the gospel. Now, we're on the other side of the cross. So when we see the promise made to us, it's beyond just Abraham's offspring will be as numerous as the stars. It is God delivered Jesus up for our trespasses and raised him for our justification. And that's what we're called to believe. Can you see that today? Is that something that you can lay your hands on and go, yes, that's, I, I, I have that in front of me. No, it's a promise. It's looking forward to a future event that we will see happen at some point in our life. And that's faith. That's what it has to be resting on. It has to be resting on faith. So Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. Remember we talked about propitiation or expiation, those two really big fancy words. And what that meant is to be made right with God. And so Jesus was offered up for our trespasses. So that law portion it doesn't disappear. It's not like God just scratches it out of history. The law still has a place in it. But Jesus was delivered up for the fact that we don't keep that law. For the fact that we can't live that perfectly, Jesus was offered up for us. And, and then it says he was raised for our justification. Um, in other words, the deed wasn't done until Jesus was raised. And so Jesus' life his death for our trespasses and the resurrection come together, and that is the event that brings us justification. And we'll see this as we go through Romans further. That event of who Jesus is and what he's done is what will come to us. That will bring the righteousness of God to us so that we, are, we stand 
not just innocent in his presence, but actually accounted to be righteous. So that's the great news is that's what you have to believe. You, you put your faith in the fact that I cannot do this. Law brings wrath. If I try to do this on my own, I'm only going to make a mess of it. And good heavens, I know I can't count how many internet comments I've deleted or almost written and wish I hadn't. The number of times I've hit a curb pulling into a parking space. The, the, the times when I've made huge spelling mistakes or sent an email that was only supposed to be for one person to the whole group. I mean, I, I do enough goofy things to know I shouldn't be trusting myself in this. But I've been given a promise. And that's how I am justified. That's, that's where my righteousness comes from, is trusting the promise. So let's go back again to the beginning. You get to heaven and, and you tell God, well, here's the good things I did and here's the bad things. And I hope the good things outweigh the bad. And, and you know, let's, let's see how it, it piles out. Um, is that the better way to be justified? Or is the better way to be justified for God to say, I'm promising you something. I'm telling you, I'm going to do this thing. If you will trust that, if you will just believe that thing, deal's done. You are justified. You are right in my sight. Will you believe what I've told you I will do? For me, I would rather be justified by faith than go and, and hope that my good outweighs my bad. I, I would rather be justified by faith than say, well, I'm justified by faith, but also these good things that I've done, they add to my justification. Because like I said, there's enough of a trail off of the good things I've done to hurt people that I didn't intend to or didn't know I did. I, I don't want to rest even on that. The better way, the perfect way, the best way to be justified is by faith because God does it by his grace because he just loves you. And it brings us in line with the ultimate purpose why God created everything for his glory. God's glory is his, his holiness on display in this world. And so as his holiness is held up and recognized and delighted in more, that's how uh, or that's why he does this by, by faith alone is because it maximizes that glory. It brings more people to trust in the glory of God to say, that is an amazing way to do this. So this is why we're justified by faith. And, and um, I think Paul's overarching theme here is he's trying to remind us repeatedly that that is what we need to be trusting in. That's the thing where we need to put our hope in. It's something you can honestly and really believe. And it is Paul's gospel. It does go back to uh, verse 16 of chapter 1. Uh, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And, and that's exactly what he's explained to us. We are justified by believing. And that, my friends, is tremendous good news. So let's hang with Abraham, um, hang on to the faith, um, not wavering, not falling off, but trusting that he has done something and he will be faithful to fulfill it. He will bring it to completion for us. And we get blessed, and he gets glory. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, in this world, there are so many competing definitions and explanations, uh, so many competing pleasures and desires. Lord, so many things that would draw us away from trusting that you have promised. You said you would do a thing. And so, Lord, would you help us to look at the heroes of the faith, um, Abraham, David, look through um, Hebrews chapter 11 to the, the people who walked with you contrary to what their eyes could see. 
believing that you would do what you said you would do. And Lord, even though you had finished for them many things, they're still looking forward to a city, a city made with um, made without tent pegs, a city made and the foundation laid by you. And Lord, we're on that same journey. So help us through the faithful witness that's come before, through the brothers and sisters we walk with now, help us to remain steadfast in our trust of the promise that you have made so that you will be maximally glorified, that we will see you as truly glorious as you really are. We ask all of the th these things in Jesus' name. Amen.